0: This is Moving Pictures, and I'm your host, Brent Gunn. The culture of Japan is truly remarkable, with the country's long and radical history of art being well documented and observed. But one thing that Japan is often not credited enough for is their incredible history of cinema. Now, I don't want to get into a history lesson with this episode, but I think I should state for the record that I love Japanese cinema. The beautiful, observational works of Yasujiro Ozu alone have influenced my own writing and cinematic taste. But we're not here to talk about the most acclaimed art house directors of Japan. Today, we're here to talk about Japan's extreme secret in the world of cinema, Japanese horror. Japanese horror cinema is often a revered subgenre of horror for many. With subgenres ranging from Japanese cyberpunk, exploitation, gore, and others, Japan's horror scene is often one of the most diverse on the planet. It's also probably the pinnacle of the entire horror genre. Today, we'll be looking at a collection of Japanese horror films varying in style, decade, and taste, and recommend to you, as an audience, a taste of horror cinema that you may have never been exposed to before. Let's take a look at Japanese horror. First, we'll be looking at the most popular film on our list, and probably the most conventional as well, Takashi Miike's 1999 horror masterpiece, Audition. Now, every horror film list on the planet is going to tell you that Audition is a movie you should see, and they're absolutely right. Go see this movie. Audition is a horror film like many before it, with many describing the film as having a Kubrickian influence. However, the way Audition transitions between sadness, ambiguity, love, loss, and fear is astoundingly well executed. Audition tells the story of a lonely yet wealthy widower who manipulates a situation wherein he hosts, quote, auditions, for a future spouse. Of all of the women interviewed, he becomes entranced with one in particular, and the results get deadly. Thematically rich, tastefully opaque, brutal in execution, Audition is one of Mike's finest works as the quote, more extreme Japanese Quentin Tarantino, unquote. Stepping outside of his stylistic comfort zones to craft a beautifully disturbing horror masterpiece, Audition is a film I feel I can recommend to anyone looking for horror suggestions, but now we'd like to dig a little bit deeper into the freakish hole that is Japanese horror. On the more controversial end of the spectrum, we have the notoriously gruesome exploitation series Guinea Pig. Comprised of six proper films and a few spin offs, the Guinea Pig films are horror films for the most jaded horror fan. Stylistically, the films range from gruesome body horror, straightforward gore and exploitation, and even black comedy. Filled with polish and gruesome practical effects, the guinea pig films are now seen as a standard in the world of splatter, horror, or gore films. The second film in the collection, and often revered as the most beloved of the series, 1985's Flower of Flesh and Blood, was actually reported to the FBI by famed actor Charlie Sheen in 1991, because Sheen believed the film was not a work of fiction and was in fact a real homicide caught on tape. And from a place of zero context, it's kind of understandable as to why Sheen was so affected by the film. Specifically with regards to Flower of Flesh and Blood, the film is essentially a plotless gore-fest, the extreme logical conclusion of the slasher genre. Pure, ugly filmmaking at its finest. My personal favorite of the series, Mermaid in a Manhole, tells the absurd story of, well, just that. A man finds a rotting Japanese mermaid in a sewer and tries to care for her in his apartment. Over the course of many days, The Mermaid decomposes and the audience is treated as some phenomenal practical effects and surreal horror bliss. The guinea pig film set a high standard for hardcore violence in Japanese horror, something that no doubt inspired audition filmmaker Takashi Miike. House, the 1977 horror comedy by notorious director Nobuhiko Oboyashi, is a film unlike anything else you will probably ever see. House. The plot is simple enough, a group of schoolgirls stay at a relative's house, only to find that the house is haunted. But it's not just haunted, it's home to some of the most outrageously so-bad-they're-good special effects you will see in any film, period. With floating, severed heads, possessed cats, and pianos that swallow people whole, haunting our youthful and musical female protagonists, the film is too absurd not to enjoy. Filled with the same creepy but joyous spirit as something like Rocky Horror, House is a classic of Japanese cinema, with the film getting a Criterion Collection remastered release in 2010. House is truly just one of the weirdest movies you will ever watch, and on that principle alone, we have to include it here. Continuing on into our dive into the weird, let's take a look at Shouzen Fukui's 1991 cult classic, 964 Pinocchio. The horror-fueled, cyberpunk-adrenaline high that is 964 Pinocchio is a sensory assault from start to finish. Filmed in a guerrilla style, chaotically edited, abruptly obtuse, 964 Pinocchio tells the story of a cyborg exploited by its creators, seeking redemption and metamorphosis. Explosive imagery is present throughout the film, and some have even compared it to Enter the Void because of both films' reliance on the visual. Our cyborg main character experiences distorting hallucinations throughout the film, as his mem- memory has been wiped by his exploitive creators. Unsure of whether to seek revenge or seek reality, our cyborg is assisted by a homeless girl who, for lack of a better word, takes him under her wing. The film is definitely an entrancing and jarring experience, sure to cater to the taste of any horror cinephile. One thing I've always found so beautiful about Japanese cinema is its focus on familial involvement and dynamic. Again, to reference Ozu from early in the episode. Ozu observed Japanese culture of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and positioned the ordinary lives of the poor and the middle class as the pinnacle of Japanese culture. I've noticed this trend of family is actually present in quite a few of the films we'll be discussing today, and I think it's interesting how the cultural trends towards narrative can seem consistent, whether you're making Tokyo Story or our next film, Naked Blood <laughs> Naked Blood is the 1996 horror-art drama of director Hisayasu Saito. Proclaimed to contain, quote, "...one of the most appalling scenes in Japanese horror," Naked Blood is a story of a young scientist with a drug that he thinks can change the world. A drug that turns pain, sorrow, and hurt into pleasure, happiness, and contentment. A novel idea, sure, that is until his subjects, with the aid of his also-scientist widow mother, experience horrifying side effects from the drug. Surprisingly, Naked Blood, when it's not making its audience want to gag at the extreme violence on screen, has some fairly poignant commentary on collapsed, sad, pathetically depressing familial situations. Sato identifies that the delusions of self-greatness can have negative, sweeping results, sometimes even fatal results. Stylized and often abruptly switching between sleek and schlock, Naked Blood is a familial observation meets gore unlike anything else. Lastly, Let's take a look at our most experimental film on the list, the 1989 cyberpunk horror classic Tetsuo the Iron Man. Filmed on grainy black and white, Tetsuo shows the frightening industrial nightmare of a man slowly turning into a cold, literal machine. Initially suffering a cut on his leg, our nameless protagonist throughout the course of the surrealist sci-fi nightmare slowly becomes a gashed, extremely deformed mechanical beast. The film is often compared to David Lynch's 1977 debut, Eraserhead, though usually only from a stylistic perspective. Tetsuo wants to disturb you with a gross transformation, from human to non-human, from real to artificial, from skin and bone to wire and metal. A film focusing on man's literal infection from technology is interesting enough as a theme alone, but Tetsuo really is a great film, and even a better horror film, because it uses horror and fear in completely unconventional ways. Admittedly, the idea of slowly turning into a robot is so absurdly surreal, most of us wouldn't fear that because we can't imagine it. But what if a film like Tetsuo is a bleak look into a hypothetical future, a future ruled by an infection of AI? Tetsuo represents a perfect ending to this list of suggestions because it truly is the quintessential Japanese cult film. A gritty masterpiece, Tetsuo the Iron Man is a work of pure inspiration and paranoia. But how does Japanese horror compare to horror as a whole? Is it truly the pinnacle of the genre? Or is it impossible to set any real standards when talking about something as subjective as cinema? Let's take an even closer look at Japanese horror. With me as always is Mitch. Mitch, how about you say hi?
1: Hello, everyone. This is Mitchell Kakalka, news editor for Central Michigan Life and official comic relief for Brent Gunn.
0: <laughs> okay, so today uh, we're talking about Japanese horror, and I really wanted to focus on Japanese horror because I feel like it's a genre of horror that not so many people are exposed to, but I feel like they totally should be. But before we really dive into that, let's kind of just you know, set up the goalposts for what we both think of as good horror. So what are some mm. of your favorite horror films, Mitch?
1: Really, to be honest, when I think of horror, um, the things that have attracted me have always been um, David Cronenberg's films, okay. um, body horror, like um, The Fly. The <laughs> yeah, Scanner, The Fly's great. Um, Scanners. Um, some some more recent ones, like um, Under the Skin, uh, it follows kind of a more like experimental modern horror, which we talked about a couple episodes ago.
0: Yeah, go, go listen to that episode if you're uh, looking for indie horror. Mm
1: hmm. So yeah, stuff like that. I've kind of approached horror, I um, from the perspective of um, like cinema in general, because like horror, to be honest, just scared the crap out of me as a child. And I kind of avoided it. As... Do, you, do,
0: you, do you remember the first film that like scared you as a kid? Because I mm. I
1: remember mine. Um. Huh. To be honest, every, every movie scared every, me. I was a very impressionable child. The, so.
0: the movie that did it for me is I remember on Fuse in like 2006, they were, mm-hmm. or like 2007, they were playing um, The Hills Have Eyes, the remake. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like 13, mm-hmm. and that movie just completely wrecked me. <laughs> that and a wrong turn, anything with like mutant hillbillies or the desert, that, that totally <clears> does it for me.
1: I actually went on a family trip to the Virginia mountains um, mm-hmm. when I was a child and like I hadn't seen wrong turn, but like I had caught glimpses of it like when it was playing on TNT and I was just like completely terrified of it. But like my, the entire time we were there, my sister was just saying, oh, this is where wrong turn takes place. And, like I just never left the car. Do
0: you know Henry Rollins is in wrong turn three?
1: It's it's not surprising. Oh, it's <laughs> so
0: great. But yeah, um, some of my... Favorite horror films. Uh, it really ranges because I kind of come from it more of a perspective of cinema, too. Because mm-hmm. I'm more of like a, you know, I, I like my artsy fartsy crap. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to admit it, but <clears throat> I also like a lot of schlock, too. You know, I like a lot of films like Naked Blood, which I rewatched last night with my girlfriend. And she really enjoyed it, too. Mm-hmm. But um, there's always been something about like really over the top kind of like splatter horror that I've yeah. always just found really endearing. <laughs> And uh, I love that. I love, you know, The Shining, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of think The Shining kind of supersedes, not supersedes, but kind of just goes above and beyond horror. Elevates the, it. Yeah, it's such a great movie. Um, I, I can never say enough to, you know, mm. quantify that. But, um, you know, I love Antichrist. Um, I like Begotten. Have you ever seen Begotten? I've,
1: it's been on my watch list for it, a long it's time.
0: It's really, really fantastic. If you like Tetsuo the Iron Man, they're they're very similar, like in tone. Okay. Um, but yeah, horror's never been my forte genre, but it's mm-hmm. a genre that I've always, when it's done well, I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of like in a nutshell is what I think of horror. Like it's there is a there are a lot of not so great horror movies, a lot of them that I've seen, but um, when it is done well, when it is kind of this. Um, I don't know. I'd say like kind of like melting pot for a lot of very experimental film styles.
0: Have, have you seen Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal?
1: My friend bought it for me for my birthday like a couple years ago. And you should watch it. And it's 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 one of the <laughs> two or three hundred movies in my in my watch list.
0: That's it's kind of like a psychological horror. But mm-hmm. what I love about it so much is I like horror films where I feel like the director has a really firm grasp on fear uh-huh, or maybe yeah. like the psychology behind fear. Mm-hmm. Cause anyone can, you know, set up a camera in a dark room and, you know, set some suspenseful music, and mm-hmm. violins or something and make a yeah. jump scare. Like it's not hard to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I get really bored when I go to the theater to go see, you know, the it remake <laughs> and spoiler alert. That's pretty much all it is. But, um, yeah, it was, it was all right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, with regards to Japanese horror, I love Japanese horror. I like Japanese culture as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. It's always been really interesting to me. You know, I I mentioned Ozu earlier. He's one of my favorite filmmakers. But Japanese horror, just comparing it to American horror, it's so sanitized in America. Mm -hmm. Like you really rarely ever see a horror film really go above and beyond in terms of content. The Japanese just don't hold back. (laughs) They, they, they just go full throttle, you know.
1: It's I love it. it's especially kind of like um, apparent when you consider that a lot of the kind of like tentpole horror movies in American culture in like the um, mid to late two thousands were just like remakes and re adaptations of Japanese films, yeah, like the Ring series. Um, the Grudge, Pulse, right. all these. Um, one missed
0: call, I believe. One
1: missed call. Yeah. Um, dark Waters, I believe.
0: Yeah, there there was a trend in American cinema, ironically, where they were you know making really bad, in mm. most cases, adaptations of Amer- of Japanese films, and I don't know, it was really odd watching yeah. those and then going back to the source material. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh wow, <laughs> this was you know. A lot better than I would have given it credit. Do you for. think
1: it's because the American versions, by comparison, are so sanitized? Or? I think it's
0: because American audiences are much more. Um, oh, I don't want to sound like an old man, but <laughs> they have low attention spans. You know, they mm-hmm. they they want to go to a movie to be entertained, and they don't want it to be slow. They don't want it to hold up, and they just want that kind of roller coaster jerk <laughs> that a film like. I don't know, the, the new Blair Witch movie yeah. is going to give you. Mm-hmm.
1: I think part of it can also um, go back to just like the co- differences in culture between Japanese yeah, and America. I, I like agree. you were mentioning earlier, the um, familial element of yes. a lot of Japanese cinema and that kind of bleeds into Japanese horror, which and really doesn't have as much of a context for American audiences. Mm-hmm. And so stories like... The ring and the grudge, which an
0: audition mm-hmm. in, in a technical sense, because it is really about a man trying to create mm-hmm. a family again. Yeah, you know,
1: kind of have have a layer of meaning to a Japanese audience that doesn't really translate to American audiences.
0: Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. with films like um, audition, uh, naked blood, mm-hmm. they're films that it's more spe- specifically auditioned, but um, they take a lot of th- you know themes, and they bury them beneath the surface. There's a lot mm-hmm. of subtext to those mm-hmm. films, whether like you want to read into it or not. I feel like a lot of American horror doesn't concern itself with subtext as much. Like, of course, you have movies like Mother or something, yeah. which are like nothing but, but subtext. subtext. Mm-hmm. But um, is that even a horror film? Sort it's
1: of? it's in in the pure sense of the f- in the purest sense of the word. It's a thriller. Okay, like the entire point is just to like assault the audience right. some of it horrific but not necessarily horror based
0: and I feel like that's kind of like the one off because um, so many mainstream horror releases mm-hmm. seem and like this is nothing against you know pop filmmaking or you mm-hmm. know mainstream filmmaking but you know they're not films with a lot of subtext and whatever yeah. subtext is there it's kind of very surface level and when I'm thinking about horror and i'm thinking about fear subtext really increases yeah. like, the fear you know mm-hmm. idea because the the idea of oh some kids you know go into a woods and a witch haunts them it's not really creepy to me mm-hmm. but what the blair witch you know 1999 does that's so creepy is how it's presented yeah you know and there's so much subtext of the unknown um,
1: and kind of you, you get this very um, palpable like context of the community, yeah, of, um, and like the setting that they're in. That uh, how how many sequels were there? Two. There was Blair Witch Two. Yeah, there was, there was like Book of Book of Shadows, Book of, Book of Shadows, Secrets.
0: almost said Book of
1: Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Book of Shadows is trash. It's so bad. It's appropriate that we don't remember anything about it because nobody else does. And then there was the most recent remake, which just kind of were just very cut-and-paste yeah. um, horror horror movies, like horror, horror tropes put on camera yeah. um, without the kind of uh, ingenuity behind the original Blair Witch Project.
0: And also, I feel like a pretty current theme in Japanese horror is mixing a lot of genres together, mm-hmm. like uh, horror dramas, kind of horror comedies. That That's mm-hmm. really kind of commonplace over there, but... In America, it feels much more like if it's a horror comedy, it's like Medea's Boo 2. If it's a horror <laughs> drama, we hardly get any of those. It's like Mother or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if we get a horror film, it's like really by the books, like you know The Doll or Boy or you know, whatever, mm-hmm. some other horror film that's going to come Talk about out. about
1: horror comedies. I think there was a movie that was just re- recently released called Happy Death Day.
0: Yeah, I I heard oh, sh- I watched a couple of reviews of that. Mm-hmm. I would like to watch it, but mm-hmm. I kind of just get the same thing that I get from, uh, like that horror anthology anthology film like Holidays or something like that. Just okay. It, it mm-hmm. just it's not something that appeals to me. I guess
1: it's also rated PG thirteen. So. Oh, then yeah, I,
0: <laughs> there's no point in even watching it, honestly. <laughs> but um, okay. So moving on, uh, we talked about audition. We talked about Naked Blood. Let's talk about House. 'Cause House is a film, like it, it there you don't need to worry about subtext. Like if no. you're just looking <laughs> for a fun thing to watch with your friends where you're all just gonna be like, What the hell are we watching? Mm-hmm. House is the movie you need to watch. Terrible special effects, terrible acting, great, great acting. <laughs> uh just everything that could be bad in a movie is in this movie, but there's so much charm to it. <laughs> there's so much kind of like style to it in a weird way, and it's such a fun movie. Uh you need to watch it. it, it mm-hmm. It's such a great film to watch for, like, the horror season. Yeah. And there are some genuinely, like, creepy moments, too. Mm-hmm. Um, same with uh, probably Tetsuo the Iron Man. It's another film where I just feel like it's something that you can put on and just observe it.
1: Yeah. A lot of context that didn't really carry over to the remake with Robert Downey Jr. That was a joke. Oh,
0: okay. I was like, <laughs> wait, what? Oh, all right. Mitch with a superhero junk.
1: Yeah, we need the. <laughs> we can't go Sound one effect. day without
0: mentioning superheroes on this show. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Tetsuo, the Iron Man, mm-hmm. and House—they're much more formalist mm-hmm. movies. Uh, you can kind of just accept them on surface level. Nothing mm-hmm. to worry about there. Um, the Guinea Pig movies—they're the same thing. They're—they're they're essentially all plotless, kind of just gore exploitation movies. They're not for the. Fane of Heart, they're a bit, you know, more gruesome, just a little warning here. Uh, But if you're looking for really intense, you know, gory horror movies, can't recommend the guinea pig films. And And, uh, Charlie Sheen, (laughs) stumbling across it in 1991, that story's always just blown me away. I just pictured like Charlie Sheen, just like out of his mind in his apartment, <laughs> and he just stumbles across this like weird. How did he even find it? Some that's Japanese well, that's what horror I was film. Like, 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 what did he go to Blockbuster? And like like yeah, Why yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: this movie? How, like any movie he could have. And if he got like, come across, if he
0: got into possession of the film, how would he think that it's not a film? He must have yeah. like, he, it must have been mailed to him, or he. Well, it was 991, so how'd he download it? Like
1: <laughs> Yeah, somebody just sent it to him in like a blank envelope. Oh, uh, just straight up trolling him. <laughs> That's so great.
0: But yeah, watching uh guinea pig, if if you just put it on, no context, kind of like August Underground, you'd think it's real. Like I mm. can't really rag on the guy too bad. It was like twenty six years ago. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But, um moving on from that, nine sixty four Pinocchio. Now you haven't seen this film. I so. have not. This film is so weird. You can find it on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Oh, God. But um if you like cyberpunk, sci-fi kind of horror, um Tetsuo and uh 964 are really good examples of that. Mm-hmm. 964 It's all over the place. Um I really don't want to spoil it. Uh if you're looking for really absurd cyberpunk all over the place, doesn't make any sense, horror, mm-hmm. a lot of explosive imagery, 964 is really a, a good example. But all of these films are just so different from each other, <laughs> which I feel like isn't, you know, super consistent in American cinema or, you know, other horror, you know, by bi- country.
1: Yeah. W- when American cinema, you can very much separate, um, like the eras of horror filmmaking. It's like the trends yeah. that they were like the slasher films of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, um,
0: Japanese horror, uh, Tokyo Ghoul are, are, you, okay. are you familiar with that familiar
1: I'm not really like well, it's getting a live
0: it. action Japanese release okay and I saw the trailer for it the other day hmm. and it actually looks like really really good huh kind of like putting a hole in our last episode but uh <laughs> no it, lo- it looks fantastic I'm really excited to watch that and just even uh from like you know uh cinematography standpoint it seems like the Japanese take the genre of horror a lot more seriously than yeah, most that's American I've been directors. Like kind of like getting from what you've
1: been talking about. It seems that. like
0: they all kind of have this much more invested love for the culture. Like, don't don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. There's horror scenophiles in America. America has a great horror community, mm-hmm. but I feel like the people that make films in America typically, you know. They they can be passionate, but the films that are gonna get like bigger releases, mm-hmm. they tend to be really sanitized. Yeah. Whereas the Japanese, there seems to be a bigger market for um slightly more rough around the edges or mm-hmm. obtuse horror.
1: Seems like from what you've been saying that like the Japanese just kind of like treat horror as a its own like respectable genre. Like um in in American cinema there's comedy there's action and there's drama and then there's a lot of subgenres like horror being one of them which just aren't taken as seriously. Yeah. Which um, and also
0: um American horror seems a lot more franchise based. Yeah. Uh now I could be wrong there could be like some great Japanese franchises out there. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm not familiar with really any. Um Tetsuo had a couple sequels but I didn't think they were like, you know, big blockbusters or anything. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Takashi Miike, people like that, they're pretty popular directors who you know put out really consistently very tarantino-esque
1: from what i know of takashi miike he seems almost more like robert rodriguez yeah robert I rodriguez-esque see that. um I see that. he has doesn't he have like a couple family films that he's oh, shoot. done i i'm pretty sure he does i can't
0: remember that off the top of my head
1: like i was just looking um a couple days ago i like a list of his filmography which is extensive oh yeah and there's like Ichi the Killer, um audition like Splatter House, like yeah. go- like Gorefest horror movies. But then there's plenty of like f- family films. Was, I've actually seen one of his films called Um Thirteen Assassins. Yep. yep. Which is That's, like I, I enjoy that movie. Yeah, yeah I I really good. enjoyed it. But it's a lot less bloody than you'd think mm-hmm. compared to like what his reputation is. It's like a very, very well done, um, very um well stylized, like action film, but right. not like with the exceptions of like one or two scenes, not very like bloody, gory. Um, what you'd expect from a samurai film,
0: right? And uh, you know, with Mikay specifically, he's put out so many films. It's almost like on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Like when you average it out, uh, I don't know many American filmmakers, you know, specifically horror filmmakers that are that uh, prolific mm-hmm. in their content. That's another thing I kind of notice about Japanese cinema. It's very prolific. There seems to be directors who make a lot of films. Going back to Ozu, I think he made like – he had to have broken like 100, like counting shorts, counting all of his work, his silent work, like 50 to 100 films over the Mm -hmm. course of like – he died in 63, so like 30 years, give Mm -hmm. or take, but that's still like an insane (laughs) number. Um, Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, How many did
1: Kurosawa make like it's it's up there? Oh, I have no idea. Mm-hmm.
0: It's up there though. Do do you think that most audiences are going to be able to connect with horror films like Japanese horror? Because I know a lot of people seem to be really able to connect to anime nowadays. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would be an easy transition for most people? Because you know they they are subtitled or they are dubbed. Yeah, there's I've... a couple kind of cultural differences in acting.
1: Mm-hmm. I think cultural context is going to be kind of like the key barrier between um, like Japanese horror getting like um, a very like solid foothold in the American audience. Right. Um, Talking about um, like we were saying like uh, Japanese cinemas focus on um, family units. Um, It's kind of like a core tenant that you can look at throughout like the entire like uh, cinema cinematography.
0: And there's other kind of like stylistic tropes and – Japanese horror, Mm -hmm. like in, you know, American cinema. Mm -hmm. uh, Japanese films seem to have a lot more female protagonists than American cinema, which, again, I think is just a cultural, you know, difference. Mm -hmm. Um, With American films, the craft of horror, you know, there, there are auteurs, you know, here and there, sure. But when you think of American horror, you typically think of, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The franchises like Scream, you were talking about. Saw Friday thirteenth. Friday thirteenth, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas when I think of Japanese horror, I think of single independent films, mm-hmm. like single individual films that are much more standalone pieces than they are just part of a big fan base. Which you is ironic I'm... because Japanese culture seems very kind of, you know, fan oriented, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Is that a difference in, like, the film industry in Japan? Like, in America, especially, um, like, recently, like, it's very much geared towards franchises mm-hmm. as, like, the core, um, like, the backbone of the film industry.
0: I, I would love to research that, like, research the industry differences, because I'm mm-hmm. taking, you know, some BCA classes right now, and we're learning a lot about the American filmmaking industry mm-hmm. and how, just from the get-go... From the instant get go, it's always been a business. Yeah, you know, people are always talking about, oh, like, oh, movies. They, 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 they you know, they're not saying anything nowadays. Eh, it's always been like that. Like mm-hmm. classic Hollywood, the Golden Age of Hollywood, hundreds of just crap, yeah, just terrible, it's... boring films that are like created just like you know, three act structure,
1: copy and paste, and mm-hmm. just thrown out there. For every like ten like classic films that came out of that era, there was just. Hundreds of
0: completely dismissible, you know, just
1: things that like, yeah, dismissible is the key word. Just you don't, don't you like, you'll never hear about them like nowadays.
0: And it's just interesting because in America, it always seems like the exception with cinema is cinema that kind of goes into more of an artistic direction. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Japan, it feels like that's a little bit more of with cinema specifically. That seems to be more of the common trend yeah. Like they they want to be a bit more a tourist mm-hmm. than they do just, you know, cranking out pop movies.
1: Especially when you compare like probably the most famous um Japanese filmmakers, Akira Kurosawa, mm-hmm. who are the very artistic, um, tourist yeah. kind of um, approach to filmmaking. Then when you look at America, like who's the most famous director? Spielberg probably. Living today. Like, I mean, like go to like anybody on the street and say like name a director. You'd get Spielberg. Or Hitch-
0: uh, Martin Scorsese maybe. Scorsese,
1: Hitchcock. like all Tarantino. Kind- Tarantino, You'd especially recently. You probably get a yeah. lot of Tarantinos. All of which, fine filmmakers, but yeah. like all of them, Kind of more in line with um, what people expect from films, more maybe more refined. Maybe with but. the
0: exception of Tarantino.
1: Tarantino is kind of an interesting case, but because I mean, like everything he's done has been like a pastiche of a genre, right, right. And so he's kind of um, simultaneously like molded the film industry by being molded by it.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I can understand that. I mean, the guy, you know he was working in video stores before his big break. He's yeah. always just had an intense love for cinema. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when you watch his films, even if you're not a fan of his films, you can tell mm-hmm. this guy has a craft yeah. and a true skill for mm-hmm. it. And I see a lot of that translate in something like Takashi Miike's work. Mm-hmm. Like he and Quentin Tarantino are extremely, you know, similar filmmakers in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, aesthetically, you know, they they have a lot of similarities. But yeah, that's Japanese horror. Um for anyone that's listening, I would really recommend that you go out and watch any of these films. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there for finding these films. You can go on you know, Amazon Video, Netflix has you know films.
1: There's quite a few on YouTube, YouTube like Tetsuo, especially Tetsuo and like Audition are both like available like completely for streaming on YouTube. Uh,
0: Nine Six Four Pinocchio, also. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, if you ever just want to see like clips from these films, mm-hmm. you can find some of like really ex- extreme clips from these films on YouTube. Just to kind of you know, thirst your appetite for going deeper into the genre, but uh thanks a lot for coming on, Mitch. Oh, as thank per you usual. so much for having me.
1: Awesome.
0: From blood and guts to sorrow and sci-fi, Japanese horror is a force unmatched in the horror genre, and one that I think deserves discussion. If you're going to be looking for films to terrify yourself with this season, why not look to a body of work as impressively unique as Japanese horror? I think it's incredible we as audiences can use cinema to try to better understand the cultures surrounding us. And pleasantly enough, some of those cultures of cinema have the power to scare us to our breaking points, and to shake us like nothing else has, and to keep our eyes glued to the screen. This has been Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn.
1: Thank you for listening.